might as well start that recording. Uh, I don't even know if we... I've not been here for two weeks, so I don't know if we've uh, lost audience or what. Maybe I don't care. I don't know. Here's here's that thing. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso. Yes, back on live uh, on uh, Radio Trashioso. And uh, I, I think I announced in a couple places. Can you, can you hear yourself there? Is it that one? That, uh, there you go. There, that's that one. Uh, that my guest today would be. Um, once again, we had. Uh, my friend here on before, Darren McGovern, who I've known for a frightening amount of years. And um, I think one of the first things we decided that uh, each of us wasn't totally insane was that we found out we both liked uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space. Oh, uh, actually, I don't know if I had actually seen it until I met you. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Um, Nor had I read Robert Anton Wilson yet. Really? Had I? That's how far ago it was. Yeah, yeah, you turned me on to a book. Of, remember, I was carrying a Crowley book, and you were carrying a Wilson book. Oh, okay. <laughs> like a couple of nerds. Not a couple of nerds. Um. <laughs> and you're like, hey, I wanted to read that. Yeah, that this Wilson guy. What the hell is wrong with this mic? There we go. Um, this Wilson guy keeps talking about that Crowley guy. Although I don't think that Crowley guy talked about that Wilson guy because uh, he might not have. No, he was born already, but he hadn't written anything yet. <laughs> I don't think they ever met. Yeah, that that would have been a, that would have been a book. I do have a recording of Orson Welles meeting H.G. Wells. <laughs> That's kind of weird. I got that somewhere. They were on a radio station in Dallas or something in like 1939 or whatever. Was it like a family reunion or something? No, no, they weren't related. Oh. <laughs> but they're they there's kind of they're just kind of blowing smoke up each other's asses and talking about uh, War of the Worlds. And then at the end, Orson Welles says, "Oh, I'm working on this uh, film. It's going to be called Citizen Kane. It's uh, it's this new thing. We're trying some new stuff with it." <laughs> <laughs> Might be interesting. Yeah, it, it could be interesting to uh, some people. I don't know. He said people will be talking about this film for many decades. <laughs> and then somebody at uh, CFI will find the original nitrate camera negative and burn it. 
That, that's what happened. The, the original negative citizen, citizen Kane was burned because it was nitrate, and somebody thought somebody threw it in the the burn pile. <laughs> yeah, don't get started on all the materials that have been destroyed. Yeah, consolidated film industries. Oh, that's right. Because we we that I heard that when we were working at Color Systems Technology, colorizing films. Yes, that's where Darren and I met, and uh, in the pit of hell. Yeah, we did have fun though. We did bastardization. Um, I think it was called yeah. by some. We did put Limburger cheese on that guy's um, <laughs> engine. And by we, you mean you? <laughs> <laughs> what? Although I witnessed it. You were out there going, yeah, yeah, do it, yeah. And then the next time when he wouldn't lay off, we went out and uh, put a uh, potato in his um, exhaust pipe. And when he ran around the corner, there was this huge explosion sound. and it... <laughs> I don't even know if I heard that. Um, maybe you weren't there because when I saw him leaving, I ran outside just so I could hear if it would actually happen. He started the car and it waited. It actually took till he went around the corner going out towards the freeway. And I, heard, I didn't see it, but I heard this BAM! I heard the screeching of tires. Many stories from back in that time. I don't know. I'm not a. Uh, I'm not as. Uh, what's the word? Uh, vengeful as I, I used to be. Yeah, it's not worth the effort. Not really. I mean, if somebody totally screws up your life, I don't know. Anyway, um, Darren is a musician, and, and he has hundreds of guitars. And in contrast to a lot of people that have hundreds, have hundreds of guitars, he actually knows how to play. And he actually knows how to write music and actually writes good music. And he's brought his new CD. Um, and I'll leave it up to you how soon you want to either talk about it, introduce a song, and or play one. Yeah, well, it's been around for a few months, but, uh, you know, it's good to get more uh, air you have on to it. Talk. Uh-oh, now we're vibrating. Well, you have to talk straight into the microphone like this, or it's, yeah. it doesn't pick you up. Well, it does, but you're you're overhearing. Um, last time you were on, I, I I can't even remember what we talked about. We might go over the same crap, but um, oh, that's nice. It's either somebody is stuck in traffic, or there's a Mexican wedding. <laughs> All the honking. We'll get the sirens later. Both. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it must be mo- both. It's a it's a uh, stuck in traffic wedding and funeral all at the same time. Oh, there, there they go. They squeeze the last of it out. Uh, do you want to play any of this music? Sure. Oh, and that's the uh, main reason we're here. Yes. And yeah. you just tell me which track, and um, if you want to intro it, fine. If not, we'll just play it. Well, uh, yeah, just I guess first song is. A good try. It's, it's it's a bit long, but uh, we'll see how long you can take it. It's four minutes twenty four seconds. Yeah, it's called Sweet Shady Bower. Okay, let's see if we got this working properly. There it is. That's it. Of our life's calamity We saw like a season 
Wow, I can't even hear myself. There we go. Sweet Shady Bauer. That's from uh, Darren's new uh, CD, Celebrate the Light, which was... Um, you didn't produce it, but you... you uh, Well, you did just about everything else. Oh, shit. There we go. 
Yeah, I work. I, I brought in a producer for this one, like the last one. Same guy, actually, Mike Casingway. And the 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 funny thing, not funny thing, the thing when you played this for me in the in the car when we went out to lunch a few months ago, I said, Jesus, the, the production has gone like a hundred, you know, a hundred percent where it was above the last album. It sounds like. Yeah, well, I you know I got lucky. I found somebody that knew what they were doing, and I used to try to do it myself, but you know. <laughs> yeah, it's better to have someone that does it often and well. Yeah, and um, so I'm real happy with the final product <laughs> in that regard. Didn't one of these get on one of the songs get on it? Oh, was that the last CD get on a TV show? Oh, it was the last one. It was on Friday Night Lights. <laughs> which oh is yeah, some kind of a uh, Texas sports drama. Oh yeah, it's about it's about uh, Texas high school football, right? Yeah. yeah. I was really proud because the song, basically a guy's in the bathroom shaking his, uh, you know, penis in the <laughs> urinal when my song comes on. And he's kind of whistling to the song at the same time, so I'm really proud of that. <laughs> and uh, actually, uh, I was, I thought I was going to get a song off this album in uh, film, but they chose one from the previous album also, and it's a film coming out called Zombie Hamlet. With Jason Mewes, uh, Silent Bob, and Jay. Oh, okay, yeah. Fame. Yeah. And it also has Shelley Long and John Amos in it. <laughs> JJ's dad. <laughs> From Good Times. Oh, yeah, He's okay. Got a bunch of people about uh, like that in there. But it's supposed to be based on a quasi true story about a guy who went down south to make a film and ran out of money and then. Um, uh, somebody came along and said that they would give him the money to finish his movie if he added some zombies to it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking forward to seeing what that's about. But they haven't got a distributor yet, so yeah, I'm keeping my eyes out. But uh, yeah, but this new one uh, has been out for a little bit. I haven't really shopped around quite as much as the old one. Yeah, you have. Here. I'm a lot louder than you, and I shouldn't be. Although I do put the bass up on my voice just a little bit, so I sound more manly. Well, that's like, you know, if you're at a talk show, the guy has a higher chair. Right, right. I think this chair is actually higher, too. Gives you the manly. Nobody can see because we don't have the... Power uh, position. Yeah. When the song was playing, you started describing what you were, you know, you you said it was part of your... uh, uh, The lyrics were an example of part of your... uh, crusade to get uh, the the concept of belief or the word belief out of the language well, a little of both but yeah i mean it's um you know i i kind of avoided a lot of the things that i read and i'm interested in and a lot of music in the past but this time around i decided i would just you know say the kind of stuff like you and i would talk about in songs when i was writing them um and so a lot of it kind of gets a little uh you know philosophic uh, kind of stuff and uh, is the thinker what the thinker thinks approve or proves line in that song uh actually that's on the previous album yeah oh okay no not this one but this was uh, the same theme i mean basically the song is about uh how after all these years of various uh paths of interest that i've have come full circle and you know kind of really doubt that there's anything such as free will in the universe at this point we had a discussion about that um, last time we talked, not on the show, but when I saw you. And 
since I'm a contrarian. If you had said, if you had told me there's there's all kinds of free will, I would argue that there wasn't. However, you were arguing the one side that there. How did you come to the conclusion that there? Not conclusion, but uh, yeah. your idea at the your I'm present working model. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, actually I was really inspired by a book, uh, Guns, Steel, and Germs. Um, they go into quite a bit of detail about a lot of the more recent archaeological information and DNA information about, you know, man evolving and and um, a lot of the mythological Sorry. things I've read in the past. You know, it leads to the sort of conclusion where you can see how things unfold and why they unfold and, the, uh, you know, even the development of various religious beliefs um, can pretty well be traced um, if you follow the history. And so, um, you know, obviously it's always a a problem with language when you start discussing things like this. I've always found in the end of the day, you you know, half the time you're agreeing and disagreeing because uh, the words aren't really clear or specific enough to know what it is you're talking about, but... What are you looking for over there? I was just trying to get it so that you could have the microphone down so you wouldn't have to lean over oh, into it. But they, yeah. somebody has broken that thing, That's so we right. can't I'm good. use it. I'm comfortable. Oh, okay. Oh, God, this thing is so bad. This Mackie board, it's, they're, they're wonderful boards, as you know, being a musician. But this one is just abused. Yeah, it looks like it could use a little uh, spraying of yeah. dust. Or one of those things that you spray in the... To lube up the uh, faders, I just bought a Mackie board, but it doesn't. the The fader kind adds about a hundred or two hundred bucks onto the price, so it's just the little eight track one. But uh, the uh, did you just describe how the free will argument was? Uh, <laughs> Was elucidated in the book Guns, Germs, and Steel, I think you said? No, I was just saying how it's uh, one of the many elements that has, keeps po- pushing me in that direction of uh, understanding or th- it's additional evidence. Uh, that everybody's working out is is just kind of has a script going on in their lives and or and everybody and everything has a script going on and they're just kind of, without knowing it, doing it? Yeah, that's I mean, almost a Hindu idea. E- even when you're making a choice, I mean, the concluding factor, unless you're flipping a coin, you know, um, <laughs> there's, you know, something that making you make that decision and uh, conclude that, um, just like any other cause and effect. You know, you're about 10 dB lower than me. I don't know what you want me to do. Uh it, you have to be it's a directional microphone so you have to talk on top of it uh-uh. if you talk this way it goes yeah i don't want to get my lips too close to this thing if it's as old as that board yeah well it's th- that's why i bring in my own microphone with my own wind uh <laughs> wind sock on it because it's like windscreen uh, yes i've gotten too close to some of these microphones and they they, they don't smell very hygienic um and I derailed our train of thought there, but uh, that's all right. The the thing that struck me when you said that was the the Hindu idea that there's a and the, you probably are aware of this, and it probably enters into that 
idea, the uh, the the uh, free will idea that the um, we are all the 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 Godhead just doing itself, you know, it uh, experiencing itself in that it, and there is sort of a plan to it, meaning that it's going to work itself out as a drama, and a drama is is usually predetermined. Well, I wouldn't go so far as to put any meaning on any of it, but um, you know. It is cause and effect. The meaning uh, appears after the fact, I believe, um, and based on the viewer, but it just is. Well, it's it seems like it almost like a a point of view thing where you can you can say that you can put meaning on it afterwards, and that that meaning was there to begin with, but you just realize it when you got to it. Or you can you can say that you put that meaning on it because you think that's what it was when you got there. So it's a chicken and the egg kind of thing. It, Not really. Be, I mean, you know, uh, you know it depends uh, on because if it was an ant viewing that same situation, it, it wouldn't have that meaning to it. So it's you know the the ingredients are there, the factors are in a row, and they get pushed towards each other, and then you have your result and. The meaning part is just uh, our own little amusement along the way. <laughs> there, the, the, I think I've got you now. Part of it is is uh, that stupid board. Anyway, sorry about that. Spam. I don't like spam. <laughs> and the other thing that comes to mind when you say that is that the, that Joseph Campbell thing I heard one time where he said when you get to the end of your life you realize it's it's like somebody wrote it. Definitely. And because you have all this insight and perspective on it, and it just you know it's a novel. Yeah. With all the it it it, it could be written as a perfect novel. Um, and the way you tell it's going to determine what the meaning is. You could twist and turn it in many different directions, right. apply different meanings to it. Right. I'm but trying. Go ahead. Yeah. I was trying to argue the other side of it, but it's it's the the concept is so. Um. Like I said, to me, it all it all revolves around point of view. But you're taking it a step further and saying, well, the point of view is, you know, if it's predetermined, then the, the it all rests in point of view. Well, as far as the meaning goes, yeah, but I think that there's a single truth. You know, there is one factual reality at this point, and uh, the meaning part of it, though, is just uh, part of the human brain software that, uh, you know, we shuffle it around, and uh, uh, based on our needs and fears, we apply meanings to it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I see your point of view, and I'm and I I, I am starting to be in accord with it. <laughs> well, it, it's it's unknowable that that uh, and you would agree with this too that that core reality or whatever you want to call it is unknowable, really. And we just experience it because we're, our brains are trying to get get a handle on it continuously, or maybe they're not. But anyway, in in, in big or small ways, we're trying to get a handle on whatever that base. Reality, which is a whole big loaded term, is. Well, we know uh, what the evidence indicates, and that's all we've got, really. You know, 
Yeah, meaning through our instruments and our senses and all that, we kind of get a vague handle on whatever that core is. Yeah, I mean, you know, for years a lot of people have been going through all the various mind fucks of trying to calculate, you know, what stretched strange realities may be out there and cracks in the universe and, you know, we're all plugged into the matrix and, you know, stuck in a room somewhere while this is in our minds and all that stuff, but... I think that's all, you know, a bit of, uh, although... Window dressing? Uh, although you could, you know, get into the old argument of whether it's um, logically valid or not. Ultimately, it's just absurd. Oh, you were moving it closer because you probably know more about fields of microphones and monitors than I do. Or we can turn down the the speakers. I don't... Yeah, I don't plug fine. headphones in because I never have here, like a regular radio station where two people are wearing headphones and listening. That'll do it. Yeah. No, that works. But the other thing is uh, belief. You know, I mean, that's uh, one of the things I deal with a lot on the entire record is the belief, the function of belief in the human experience. And I think that uh, it's a very old, passe concept that we no longer really gain anything from and it's basically turning into a very negative effect on everything that um and you know you get into a lot of semantics here so i don't want to belabor the point stan (laughs) but uh (laughs) you know uh it, it just seems like a waste of time getting into a lot of that stuff you know i mean if you're if you're actually pursuing a particular philosophic thing obviously you're going to get into Whatever permutations, yeah. but as far as day to day life, those things are, you know, pretty much a, a waste of energy at this point. I think, and it's a matter of, uh, you know, we're we're getting through this and trying to make our own meaning out of it, and you know, not to be hedonistic, but you're, you know, you're here. You got to make what you can of it. Well, yeah, Douglas Adams had the. You know, as he was writing Hitchhiker's Guide, that one of the lines in there was the, oh, it was the uh, the mice that were trying to find out the meaning of life. They finally said, uh, uh, the guy that was designing the planet for him, he finally said, yeah, we went through all that too, but finally we just said, uh, well, hang the sense of all of it all and try to try to have a good time. Yeah, <laughs> read, read a good book now and then. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Meaning of life. It's very true. <laughs> And the other big influence on the album was a book by Ernest Becker called Denial of Death. Um, that oh, yeah, you told me about this book. It had a pretty heavy effect on me because uh, it's like one of those books you read and every line you're like, well, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know I've always been impressed by people who, who, you know, profess things that I already agree with. <laughs> who flatter your prejudices? <laughs> oh, my God. But, uh, no, that's the feeling, you know, sometimes when you read a particular thing, it seems to sum it all up very well and i think that book although it's quite old now um makes a lot of points that a lot of people could benefit from such as well i mean basically he posits that you know um early psychology had placed sexual functions as a primary motivator um and he replaces that with denial of death that um since our basic urgent instinct is to life that uh, the cognitive dissonance that occurs when early man developed self-awareness and noticed that 
people were dying around them <laughs> that it created this uh, realization unlike other animals that we know we're going to die and since we have the urge to live those things don't sit well in a mind and so we're constantly seeking some sort of way out of that idea whatever it may be instead of just accepting it and that's really the great conflict of man from day one and so we went to all kinds of extreme ways with religion and art and you know population control and uh science trying to you know not die basically yeah and holding out hope and beliefs that you know will go on somehow and i think it was fueled by the early men uh early man who um may have seen people in its you know local small band of people traveling in the pre-civilized days and witnessing a friend who died and then later dreaming about them obviously they had no concept of dreams and brains and how that all worked and what it all was about so to them they would have assumed the guys from another in another place and right. continued after life and so they developed a whole concept of spirituality to explain all the missing areas and it was fed by our deep deni- desire to deny our own deaths and so it's a perfect mixture that would create this whole thing and then at later on as religion started to wear thin on some people science has kind of taken over in that way with immortality movements and people who think you know there's going to be some way we're going to figure out to live forever mm-hmm. and instead of ex- you know accepting the basic premise that you know death is part of life and in the cycle is consciousness unconsciousness and if you want to say we go on it's only in the sense that our you know our body goes on the atoms the carbon uh, you know continues on but nothing like us will continue on i'm not 100 percent closed that that's possible but there seems to be no real reason to assume that when there's plenty of explanation uh counter to that being necessary to explain things so all the stuff I usually talk about on this show, survival after death and UFOs and Bigfoot and all that stuff is just, it's just... Uh, it's satifi- satisfying an urge in people to uh, allow them to avoid the central truth, which is that they are going to die, they are going to disappear, they aren't going to exist anymore. And what, no matter how big a mark you make in society, your legacy will disappear and be washed away the planet will die someday and no one will remember us and that's just the way it is okay well then i'll i'll the first thing i know that some people listening are saying is like well what about studies about life after death where supposedly Mm -hmm. they'll find a, a kid that knows about somebody's life you know a hundred miles away and they've never met those people and never you know what is the well, How does that figure into the denial of death and and, and that it, it really is uh, not is significant, but um, it doesn't really it, it there's no there's no meaning to it. Again, it's like Bill Maher said the other day that you know when Jesus lands, the first thing he'll say is I was wrong, <laughs> you know. But in the meantime, I'm not going to live my life as if that's a possibility. Yeah. Um, now, I, like I'm saying, if people if that's your field of research, obviously continue to do that, and if yeah. you find evidence, let's all you know bring it in. And uh, there are some, like I said earlier, cracks in the universe and quantum oddities that make us think you know time can go backwards and various things. Right. And, 
and you know there may be uh, physical planes of existence where but you're talking about we transcend the basic some, human mind's reaction to its external world is it, yeah and and the idea that there is something that's not physical in the universe is very satisfying to us but there's yeah. no real evidence for it i mean Obviously, there's always a little bit of evidence for almost anything you can come up with. There's <laughs> evidence that Elvis is still alive, but uh, it's a matter of a pragmatic approach is what yeah. I'm getting at, and I'm not, I'm not closing the door on any possibility. Yeah. I'm just at a point where all that is just seems like an enormous waste of time to me, <laughs> and the downside is much worse than the upside because, in a way, this sort of uh, desire to believe and continue to foster these sorts of behaviors it f continues to uh, fuel those who hold on to these uh, beliefs which I think are very negative and dangerous as we can see with you know jihad type mentalities and, and people of various belief systems who uh, have convinced themselves against all reasonable you know information that something else completely is going on. If somebody had to stick you in a category, they would say that's a kind of an atheist, secular, humanist view. That's basically what that derives from, and you wouldn't say that? Well, you know, um, you have to get pretty, here, here pretty we are specific with, to debate through yeah. the, the, the labels. Here we are with labels and yeah, semantics But in again, the true, and, you know, obviously even a word like atheism is tricky in terms of how you define it and people argue all day long about what that even means yeah and you know i mean it basically is boiled down to the flying spaghetti monster type <laughs> realities where it's like do you want to be called you know the anti-flying spaghetti monster person i mean that's an absurd thing for you to yeah, be yeah. labeled with so calling someone an atheist is like saying well first of all i don't operate with yeah you're, you're already in that duality by yeah. saying that yeah excluded middle right i mean i don't I think avoiding beliefs is the best policy, and I think. Well, holy shit! I th think that's what I've been saying on there th may this show for a long time, in a different permutation. Yeah. Sure, I mean it's not like I invented this or nothing. I mean Wilson. Is oh no, the, I know that. I'm just of, saying. Uh, oh, this is I, I. I get a hook on what you're trying to say yeah. by pulling in something that I've been right, and I think on we, about. we both were highly influenced by the concise saying Wilson had, which is belief is the death of intelligence. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, may sound harsh to some people, but the big, basic idea is, you know, once you've formed an opinion, you go into that mode where your brain tends to edit anything that goes against that opinion. Yeah. And so by crystallizing an opinion or a belief system, or BS, yeah. which is my favorite uh, yes. Wilson thing, if you formed this BS or belief system, then you are then now blowing smoke up your own ass for the rest of your life. Yeah, in, in, to some degree. And we understand, like, like the word ego, like a lot of people in the Eastern religions are like, you must destroy your ego, and that's a big fad, you know, with a lot of religions. Fad, like a 4,000-year fad. But um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, we evolved an ego for a reason. We evolved belief systems for a reason. So it's not like they're the devil, you know. You yeah. must destroy them. It, but be aware of them but when something becomes counterproductive and is there's really good expl explanations you know Occam's razor you know there's really good explanations as to how those things came into being you don't need to leap to some absurd 
explanation. Yeah. You know, when we can see now there's been studies showing how early life can be created through, you know, a combination of certain chemicals they've created replicating RNA mm-hmm. um, without intervention of any, you know, pre-life form, just a chemical experiment, basically. Yeah. And uh, so we don't need to invent, oh, somebody landed in a flying saucer or some spiritual guy waved his hand and it made us come into being. I mean, there's all the evidence is there that it happened in a very logical, reasonable way. The thing that makes it bizarre and hard for us to grasp is two things. One is the time span is absurd to us, and the other is our deep desire to live forever. Hmm. And, again, the reason that's complicated in humans is because we have that awareness that we are going to die, whereas other animals don't seem to have that. So they don't have the anxiety we have, which is based all around this one basic concept, which is we're aware of it. Yeah, it's... uh the other that b- brings to mind this quote from Alan Watts that I'm always thinking about. Uh, it's on my, uh, it's in my current uh, model, uh, where that if there's there's a bunch of rocks somewhere, eventually there's going to be things crawling around. That's just the way things happen. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny you would think of him, you know, he's one of the most spiritual people you could think of, but that's his. You know, it's like consider that idea. Yeah. You know, that's just the way things happen. If there's there's a bunch of rocks somewhere and you come back 100,000 years, I mean, well, you know, 5 million years later and there's things crawling around, well, you go almost anywhere where there's the right combination of things and the rocks are going to turn into things crawling around. Yeah, And, I and think you that, can attribute that to some plan or some being or nothing or whatever, but that's just the way things are. Well, I think what it leads to is an explanation of a lot of what people would term mysterious or magical or synchronistic events in the universe is you know if you're a fish and you're swimming around it's like oh my god another fish how weird is that you know <laughs> and it's like well that's what happens you know and and when you're a person who starts down a path of mystical studies you start to see other mystical signs on your path it makes fairly logical sense that to you you would do that and the person who doesn't wouldn't you know and so when you look you find certain things you know and uh so but (laughs) again what what led you to do that is the environment is what allowed you the insight you know a chance meeting with someone or you know education or reading books or whatever it is that you've been exposed with is going to put you in a mind frame that's open to this new learning or experience that other people aren't so you know it's possible i may come along at some point and learn something i mean i've had spiritual quotation marks around the microphone experiences myself and and witnessed unexplainable phenomena yeah you showed me a picture of one of them right and so i i'm aware of that and don't discount it but again i'm not going to base my future behavior around the odd crack in the universe Around uh, yeah, the woe factor. Yeah. What I was referring to is that uh, one uh, Darren showed me a picture. Was it, did that happen in India? The bird on the window, or is that somewhere else? No, no, no. That was uh, in Sunland. <laughs> oh yeah. When I lived on the hill up there, I was renting a house, and I had been reading st- some uh, material from the Golden Dawn, and they had a uh, you know you could correspond basically, and they sent me some materials, and it was like the first time I had done that. And they had this letterhead 
with a particular shape of a bird on it. Yeah, because that was the name and of their temple. I read it, and the next day I came and sat at my desk, and I had a big window in front of me, and the exact shape in powder was on the window in front of me because a bird had apparently slammed into, slammed the, window. into the window and left that nearly precise shape, which you've seen the photo yeah. I took of it, Yeah, and uh, they're very identical. So those are the kind of things that, um, you know, again, it's that celestine prophecy first stage synchronistic stuff that occurs and uh so i'm all for people following their nose in that regard um you know but it becomes yeah it was meaningful for you at that time as a tool that that uh like you said it be i like that phrase be aware of the little cracks in the universe but don't let them rule your yeah don't give into the whoa yeah yeah, some people get that one, and then that becomes the central meaning of their life. No. And, uh, again, I mean, as an artist, that's cool. You know, you take it and you run with it. But, you got, you know, it's the people who get completely hypnotized by their own uh, experience. Right. And start to ignore the evidence around them. Um, I would actually... Uh, the the. This might be a good time to play the last song on there. It's okay, yeah, I was going to ask you, comedy or song? It's actually called Denial of Death, and uh, then we'll try not to be so horribly boring. And look at I'm some, not bored. Look at some comedy or something. I am, I am not bored, and I don't really know if the audience is or not. I Actually, uh, most times I don't care whether the audience is bored or not, because if I'm interested, then some people are interested, and that's enough for me. Track select. Which track is it? Um, thirteen. Uh, let me look here. I think it's oh, thirteen. Yeah. No, it's uh, ten. Oh, okay. All yeah, right. Never play track thirteen. By the way. Okay, we'll on, play that on later. A CD. Okay, I'll play. We'll play that later. What's this one called? Denial of Death. Oh, that's right. There's more to life than this A soulmate's magic kiss Part of something big The legacy will live Denial of death Seek to spread your seed Carry out sense of self blind pursuit of wealth denial of death as consciousness became self-awareness with symbols we could use and understand we made a world of sweet imagination and witnessed all the power in our hands then we Decided we belong there and Tried to leave our bodies far behind The split that we create will be our downfall Cause in the end we're bound to lose our minds Denial of death Denial of death 
Napoleonic complex Extramarital sex Immortality projects Tyrannosaurus rex Denial of There, there's the siren that we're that uh, lets you know you're listening to a genuine Radio Mysterioso show. I've had I've been interviewing people uh, by phone or Skype or whatever, and if somebody that's never been on the show, they'll be talking every every all of a sudden they'll stop and say, "Is that a siren?" <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it is. We we keep the window open. That was denial of death. Yes, from celebrate the light. The last track on Celebrate the Light, which is uh, Darren's new CD album. What are we calling him? Yeah, and, uh, you know, if you want info, you can go to darrenmcgovern.com and uh, get access to iTunes or uh, order a CD that way. Or, you know, check me out on Facebook or any of those kind of wacky sites like MySpace and Reverb Nation and all that stuff if you want more. Okay, but nobody's, the, the bridge oh, on that song pretty much summed up, I think, what we were talking about just now. So, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's your synchronicity album. And Sting read one book, and then the whole album. <laughs> well, it's more. It's it's multiple this, books. Yeah, but yeah, sure. Well, now I want to find that book. Is it out of print? Um, no, you can get it. I think it's on Amazon. Oh, okay. That'll be my next book. All I'm reading is flying books now. I've stopped reading philosophy a long time ago, so I guess I'm beginning oh, to hang much, the sense of it all. It's a much more uh, efficient use of time to read about flying than it is philosophy. I guess so. Right now I'm reading uh, How We Invented the Aeroplane by Orville Wright, I told Darren. <laughs> Which is fascinating. I mean, it's just them working on the problem. Uh, well, nobody's emailing me or messaging me on uh, Facebook, so I, I I hope you can people can hear the show. I guess I can check myself. Hey, Gabriel's on right now, but he's he's just on Facebook. Um, a uh, guy that I worked with at work when I was working with Darren. Oh, okay. Uh, in the in the last previous job, yeah. I'm, I'm not working at the radio station anymore. They ran out of money. Oh, which kind of sucks. There's so. a lot of that going around. Yeah, well, it's uh, they're run on donations, and I guess they lost one of their corporate sponsors or something. So mm. they've decided to dig real, uh, make the cuts quite deep, and so I'm the part-timer, and so they got rid of me. But it's fun. I got a whole bunch of um, weirdo music on there. In fact, if they call me in again, I'll take this in and load it into their library. What, for me? Because I have this. Oh, okay. This I think I may, may still have. Don't waste that on me because I have that. All right. The new one, obviously, I don't have. Thanks. Um, so what else is going on in the world? Uh, 
I'm trying to find the there's a there's a bunch of good um, tracks on this uh, on this new Pat Oswalt that I found. I guess it's been around for a while. Um, well, here's here's my favorite one off there. I want I wanted you to hear it. His no philosophy on it at all. It's just funny. Good. Because there's stuff about Jesus and belief systems and stuff on there too, which is great. But this is just funny, you know. And that the, you you need that, you know. I need it. This is the one that made me laugh the most, and I got the thing today. So this is a well, probably the second time I've heard it. It's called the vomit bag. I was taking this flight from Vegas to Burbank. It's a 40 minute flight on Southwest. I take it a lot, and uh, the flight is a rock polisher. It's all turbulence. It's terrifying, and one day. We're taking the flight, and we're landing. Seats up, seatbelt song, can't get up. And a guy next to me started doing something, and when he began doing it, I realized, I've never seen this done. He used a vomit bag. Because usually on a plane, you've got to throw up, you're like, oh, I'm throw up, and you go use the bathroom. We're landing, he can't get up. And I realized, as he started doing it, he must throw up every flight. Because... This guy was the Zorro of vomit bag users. He was amazing. He was sitting there. He had a magazine on this leg, and he's reading it. And you see it hit him. And he never looked up from the magazine. He reached up with one hand, grabbed the vomit bag, snapped it open with one hand. Fitted it over his mouth, made a soundproof seal. <laughs> then started violently throwing up. But it sounded like this. <laughs> Finished. Took it away from his mouth. Wiped his lips as he did it. Oh, amazing. Sealed little metal tabs, folded them with one hand. I'm sitting here. He's holding up here. He transfers it to this hand, very polite, very polite away from me, and just held it up for the rest of the flight till we landed. And he filled that bag. Like, he... he I mean, he could have stopped a mugging with that thing. It was a, it was a brick in a purse. Like, and I, I was just like, I was watching him, and I just kept thinking... What a horrible thing to be great at. <laughs> like, that's his thing. Some guy like, hey, look, I know I'm getting older. I'm not the best looking guy. But some girl sees me shoot pool. You know, that's my window. That's, you know, I'm a good pool, pool player. And this other guy, ah, I'm losing my hair. I'm fat. All right. But some girl sees me play bass guitar. Boom. I got a shot. I'm a great, great guitar player. And this guy, I still get out in the bars, you know. Girlies keep getting younger, I'm getting older. It's not happening some nights. It's when I bring out old pukey. <laughs> oh, boy. I've had this bad boy. Oh, I, mean, I would say since Predator 2 came out, if I had to put a date on it. But, uh, bring this thing out, play it like Dizzy Gillespie, boy. That... Old Pukey's put a lot of backs on mattresses. That's all I'm saying. Put a lot of backs on mattresses. Me and Pukey. Butch and Sundance, huh? Going out to... I don't know why it's talking. It was long ago. 
Madam, I, I know you find me physically repulsive, and if, if you were to walk away and never look back, I would never blame you, but please, one last time, let me vomit for you. Let me buy an egg salad sandwich from this 7-Eleven. Leave it on the dashboard of this car in this hot parking lot. Wolf it down four hours later. Don a fur coat and do squat thrust on the punishing asphalt. And only after I've sent the contents of my stomach rocketing into this bag. If you can look at me and feel no love. You may leave the island of Cordoba. Please let me vomit for you. You know, people that are against gay marriage, if they just openly said, I'm against gay marriage because thinking about two men having butt sex or two women having scissor sex kills my boner, dries up my vagina. I can't have sex, it ruins my life. That's why I'm against it. That would be a valid argument. We'd have to actually debate you on that. But these lunatics always go, well, because it says in the Bible. Okay, stop, hang on. I'm glad you like a book. I really am. I'm glad, hey, I'm glad that... <laughs> At this point, I'm glad anybody's reading anything. And I'm not even putting it in the Bible. The Bible is terrific. Give it a read. It's got monsters and adventures. And, and hey, if you like torture porn, check out the Old Testament. Oh, man. Any Saw fans out there? Woo! Get the Old Testament. But just because you like something in a book doesn't mean you can have the thing you like in the book happen in real life. That's what crazy people want. I can't go to the White House with a bunch of Green Lantern comics and go, I want a Green Lantern ring! I saw it in a book I like! Make the thing in the book I like be here, now! I would be justifiably tased if I did that. Nobody would go, hey, we have to respect his beliefs. You know, you gotta, you've gotta respect everybody's beliefs. No, you don't. That's what gets us in trouble. You have to, look, you have to acknowledge everyone's beliefs. And then you have to reserve the right to go, that is fucking stupid. Are you kidding me? I acknowledge you believe that. That's great. But I'm not gonna respect it. I have an uncle who believes he saw Sasquatch. We do not believe him, nor do we respect him. What if I, what if I 1,000% believed, and I believe this 1,000%, what if I believed that there was a giant invisible anus hovering over me, and if I wasn't nice and helpful and courteous and charitable to everyone I met, the anus would appear, suck me up into it, and I would be devoured by shit piranhas. And I mean, and I believe this 1,000%. I would be the nicest guy you ever met. 
You'd be like, Pat, you're so helpful and charitable and, and courteous to people. Why is that? And I'll go, it's funny you should ask me that. <laughs> you can't see it, but there's an invisible anus hovering over me. And if I'm not nice to everybody, it will appear and suck me up and I'll be eating. Well, I don't need to tell you about the ship we're on, as we all know about those, right? Your correct response would be, I acknowledge you believe that. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Please do not stop believing in the dumbest thing I've ever heard because you're actually helping people out with your craziness. Don't stop believing in that stuff. Please, I beg you. I mean, just... Yeah, I didn't, that goes into the next track, but uh, unfortunately I did have to put the philosophical stuff in because uh, Darren went to the bathroom, so... Well, you know. Yeah, see, comedy gets to the point quick. Good comedy gets to the point quick. I, w I would hope. Uh, that's Somebody at work told me, used to work at the comedy store, that if you looked at my Facebook the other day, it's like, comedians I've seen live, who I remember all the time, and one of them was Carlin. Were you there when that for that Carlin thing at the comedy store? Uh, no, I didn't see him there. Oh, okay, because a friend of mine was writing an article, trying to write an article on Carlin, and he got passes to see Carlin at the comedy store. I guess he was working out material for his next HBO thing. Sure. So, one, they let us in there early, and two, we sat in the front row, and George Carlin like practically spit on me as he was doing his routine like three feet from me. So it, it was How nice sacred. to see him in a little room like that. Huh? How sacred... Yeah, it was. It was as sacred as hell. And then, um, and it was in the smaller room too, not the one where we saw Tony Clifton. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, uh, I'm not going to describe describe who Tony Clifton is for people who don't uh, know who Tony it's, Clifton it's, is. Was. Uh, is no, he's still Andy around. Kaufman. That's right. And this was what last year. Yep, um, over twenty years after his death. Try to rain on my parade. <laughs> I've, oh, I uh, boot like that. My <laughs> on the way here, some, some fucking reporter out here. It's true. I'm walking up, and he says, "If Andy Kaufman was alive today." <laughs> What would he be doing? Scratching on the inside of his casket. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Can I tell you your great problem? Yeah, anyway. That was a good night. Yeah, that's the, uh, I think that's the, uh, I, were, I will survive. Uh, I will survive. Yeah. Don't turn around, huh? That was a um, an epic show. It was like two hours long. It was long. That's good. Somebody, uh, uh, a, a writer friend of mine, had a, a backstage pass which we didn't use, but we stayed we stayed there later. Adam Go Rightly and I, and the, he came out and just started 
yakking and taking pictures with people. And I got a picture with him, but it looks like I'm a huge fat slob in it, so I've never. <laughs> I look like I actually look, so I didn't want to uh, put the picture out. Photoshop it a little. Yeah, I got I got to Photoshop my my chin out. I, I look insane and extremely fat and greasy, so I, I just didn't want to use it. <laughs> just people need to be offended and insulted. I think. Uh, and I, I haven't heard the the only thing I, I've never heard it anything a comedian or a TV show or anything that offended me. The only thing that offends me is when people laugh at. I guess la, la, I was gonna say laugh at like rape or something, but I just I just this Daniel no what's his name Tosh yeah Tosh uh, oh it's not on that one is his name Daniel Tosh Carlin He's not did some rape humor yeah it's like yeah think of. Porky Pig raping Elmer Fudd, but I, I yeah I don't know I guess I, it's it's uh, it seems like kind of a waste of time to be offended about stuff. Yeah, Daniel Tosh. Sarah Silverman has some good rape material. She does. That's right. <laughs> but uh, any any time that you can and, and actually when we saw Tony Clifton, people were walking out. Just a few. Yeah. But some people got upset and walked out. Yeah, that's always a good sign. Is that the fear of death again? or <laughs> No, it's a fear that somebody might see themselves. I guess so. There was a, um, some, who, oh, that I didn't even know about until South Park pointed out, and this is when, um, uh, when Ivan Stang was on, he said the only way he, he knows about, uh, uh, pop culture stuff is seeing it on like some TV show he likes which I couldn't remember the name of but the only way I find out about stuff is is on South Park sometimes about the the guy who did the documentary um about some Ugandan or some uh, uh some oh yeah Con- Coney yeah did the documentary about this dictator and you know and then for some reason went nuts and took all his clothes off in San Diego and started jacking off in public and running around on the street. <laughs> I couldn't access the video because I guess it just the servers were being crashed after the show. Yeah. But um I didn't know about it till then. Yeah. And uh I tried to watch it and I didn't see it, but um the 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 fact that I have to get <laughs> Get my pop pop culture references from people who are making fun of the culture is is just uh, that makes me happy. And I grew up many years in San Diego, and the, the entire like last couple minutes of the show is just a song about how wonderful it is to go crazy and take your clothes off and jack off in public in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but to point out people's uptightness, I think, is a really important. I guess it's the belief system thing again. I like the show. It's funny. Yeah, well, every people don't know this. Every time I call Darren, it's like, did you see the last South Park? <laughs> <laughs> and somebody wrote me and said, hey, they made fun of Bigfoot researchers. I said, really? So I had to see it. It was the Jubacabra episode. Yeah. And it's, you, you didn't know it, but I was watching it. One of them looked like a known... I mean, I'm sure they all kind of look like Bigfoot researchers, but one of them I recognized as a Bigfoot researcher. Oh, yeah? Who's a um, biologist. He's like a scientific kind of... And it's, it's Jeff Meldrum, uh, the guy that's kind of older and has the white beard and... Not Bobo. No, not Bobo. <laughs> 
So they're actually making fun of a guy who's fairly serious about it, and it's kind of like, I think there's something here. We just have to get scientific about it. But they they made him out to be like this crazy, wacky, let's look for any kind of evidence you know, possible. But, um, you know, I... I I don't know how celebra- how many celebrities have gotten mad at them. I don't know. I think at least a couple. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, how could how could uh, yeah, Britney that, Spears not be? Or who was it? They yeah, had that one guy uh, who liked to eat fish dicks. Yeah, who was that? Was it Kanye or something? Oh, yeah, maybe it was. Fish di- and that wasn't a very good episode anyway. <laughs> really, and I think they knew it too. It's like let's just beat this fish fish dicks thing to death <laughs> until it's just not funny anymore. Never thought I'd hear that sentence. What? Beat this fish dicks thing to death? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> well, it's like the. Uh, the Cartman farting in uh, Kyle's face like 30 times, and they say, okay, it's not funny anymore. Just stop it. Okay. And then there's like this big pause. He does it again, and then Chef says, okay, now it's funny again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, analyzing humor is pretty silly. If you're laughing, it's funny. That's it. Well, there's a... That's the other thing I talked to this guy that used to work at the comedy store. I said he, he said he tried to do stand-up. And he said people didn't laugh. And after a while, I realized I just wasn't funny. I thought the jokes were funny. My friend thought, friends thought the jokes were funny. But the audience didn't think the jokes were funny. Well, a lot of times it's like musicians. I mean, it, you know, a lot of people just react whether they kind of like the person or relate to them or something, you know. That's exactly what I was going to say with the Woody Allen interview from the 60s. He inter- there's a guy... I got a disc of it or something somewhere where the guy actually interviewed Woody Allen, and he, that's exactly what he said, what you said. He I mean, said, that's you can't, assuming you have some material to go with. Yes, yes. <laughs> you can't just, he said, that's not important. The important thing is, that, like, well, everything else is important, but one of the most important things people don't think about is the audience has to, there has to be a personal connection with whoever it is that's up on stage and presenting whatever. You could be presenting the most important thing ever, but if you're if you're boring or an asshole and people hate you or whatever it's it's just it's not going to come across speaking of woody allen and and uh, immortality i just read a quote by him it was like uh i'm not trying to achieve immortality through my work i want to achieve immortality through not dying yeah (laughs) (laughs) did he say that recently because i think he used that in his long i've i've heard that attributed to him quite a while ago he might have even said it for all i know can't believe what you read on the internet. <laughs> I'm the first one to say that. <laughs> yeah, but if it, if we, I read it on the internet, it must be true. It's like my mom a long time ago. She, the first time I realized that my parents, the, the, Patton Oswalt has that thing about the first time he realized that grownups didn't know everything. Yeah. That's when, when my mom said, "Well, it was on the news, so it must be true." <laughs> I mean, that's basically what she said. And I was like, "Wait a second. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Or I saw it on TV, or I read it in the paper, so it must be true. And it's like, I think I was like 15 or something. I said, wait a fucking second. Yeah, I remember uh, when I moved to Venice a while back, George W., I mean, George Herbert Walker Bush was president. Yes. And he had that thousand points points of of light light program. Bullshit, yeah. And uh, where I lived, there was, you know, guys, this was back when they had pagers. 
There would yeah. be drug dealers out on the street with pagers and helicopters flying over like every night. I remember that sp- place. You were upstairs. Cars peeling out and all kinds of things going on. And you were luckily was, upstairs. It, yeah, there was a lot of trouble going on in those neighborhoods. And, uh, we found out that Bush was showing up there one night, so we all went down there. And there were just thousands of people protesting. And, you know, then they had, you know, security, and they only let, you know, Republicans who signed up in advance get in there and these two blocks that they cordoned off and uh, then I went home to watch it on the news and it was like the most warm and fuzzy <laughs> sweet event you would ever imagine on television and uh, being there and seeing how much protesting and things were going on it was pretty amazing to witness I went to one time Reagan was appearing somewhere in San Diego. And this is my only bit of political protest I think I ever did, really. Oh, I, I showed up when the Chinese premier, I think, came and I stood there with everybody in wave signs and set out of Tibet and all that. But my favorite bit of political protest was we found out Reagan was going to be at this hotel. So we stood, my friend Jeremy and I stood out in front of the hotel where he was going to come out. And the the limo actually came out, and they came driving by. And I saw Reagan and Nancy Reagan sitting in the limo, and they were waving. My friend and I were, like, right either in the front. Yeah, we were one. No, we were. We were on the front at the rope when it was coming by. As he came by, we both put our middle fingers out three feet from him as he came by. And he just smiled and waved. I You know, he probably saw it all the time. He didn't care. Or he edited it out. I don't know. But that's a, yeah. if you did that now, you'd probably be wrestled to the ground and beat up. Yeah, I don't know. But our hands came out. Well, I mean, he was sitting probably behind bulletproof glass. It wouldn't have got him anyway. But I could see him, and I'm sure he could see us. So that you know, there was a, some slight I'm little sure satisfaction. Seen that many times, yeah, by and that it point. didn't even bother him whatsoever. I think on that same trip, we actually went to the um, docks down there, the dry docks, and they had brought the Exxon Valdez there. And it was in dry dock getting fixed. And I've got pictures of him and I with bottles of whiskey or something looking all drunk, taking pictures in front of it. Because supposedly, I guess the captain was drunk or something like that when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I was... It was a non-meeting. Nobody was there. Yeah, nobody... There we go. There's a siren. Nobody at all, not even Bennett. What happened to Bennett? Why is he boycotting? I mean, I don't, I don't want to take up the rest of the show with this, but yeah, it's just a political matter. He's got the, uh, beef with the collective that they're not addressing some stuff that he's, you know. Oh, okay. Tried to seriously address and you know hasn't gotten a good response. And he's like, until I get a response, I'm boycotting the meetings. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. But yeah, but apparently everybody else did too. Oh, that sucks. Oh. I I usually can't go anymore because I work at night. I've been working crazy hours, but I just got laid off two weeks ago. So oh, well, that sucks. I more time on my yeah. Carry on. Thank you. Yes. Do you want to play another track off the CD? Yeah, some, something short and sweet, not so serious. Did you hand me these so that I would play them also? No, no. Oh, okay. You yeah. want to just want to play stuff off the new one? Yeah, yeah. It's track three. It's kind of a short and sweet one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just stylistically, you know, I've kind of... You've seen over the years, I've kind of tinkered around with a lot of different styles, but uh, 
both these last albums, I kind of just went back to basic Americana stuff that I grew up around. Acoustic stuff, slide stuff, harmonica. Yeah. And uh, I think it's kind of a good uh, medium to... Uh, <laughs> I find it uh, a little fascinating to impose the topics that I am on this kind of music. It seems uh, it's well, an odd juxtaposition. Like that. It's, a, it's a strange juxtaposition to have uh, this sort of music be about these sorts of topics. And uh, anyway... This one's called uh, Our Very Souls, and it's about, uh, not that we actually have souls, but about how we try to make, make it through the world and maintain... Here's a little story about a girl named Lori who worked in flooring at the hardware store. She had a man, his name was Dan. He walked through her like she was a door. He wiped his feet on her like a mat. She just took it like it was a fact. Alone with the struggles and all her troubles, she tried to smuggle her very soul. Here's a little tale about a boy called Dale His life got stale so he hit the road Couldn't get free so he headed for the sea Ended up on the banks of the Galilee His best friend robbed him and broke his tooth Left on his own he finally learned the truth Alone with the struggles and all his troubles He tried to smuggle his very soul Life's like a battle, are you free or chattel? We're led like cattle to the holding pen. And when we wake and we see we're shaking, cause we're just baking for our sins. And when we try to break the mold, we're just left out in the cold. Along with our struggles and all our troubles, we try to smuggle our very souls. That was a snappy one, and I liked it. And it's um, it's funny that the, the the songs I'm listening to in this album, they're if they were stupider, they'd be sarcastic. But they're not. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> there's a, there's an attitude, but there's not a snarky attitude. No, not at all. And a, a, that's rare. That's exceedingly rare. And everybody's attracted. Who was somebody said that the that music has become has become a way to show off your cleverness and not about music anymore. And that seems like what most bands do, at least the well, ones that are popular. All art has always been a dance between sheer, you know, uh, enjoyment and skill and talent and, you know, trying to be clever and show off. There's always a little showing off in every form Yeah, of but art. it's, you know... I don't know. It's it, yeah. Well, see, I think of that South Park thing where all the the music that from when you were around sounds great, and all the music is new sounds like people going. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, so true. <laughs> yeah, the older you get, the more you realize that's very true. 
until you hear a they play Beatles music for like twenty something or teenagers. They go, "Whoa, this is incredible!" And old people go, "Yeah, that's right." Yeah. I mean, of course they're going to say that. Well, you know, there is a thing about uh, the uh, sheer musicianship of some of the that period. That's like sixty-five to seventy-five. I think that a lot of young people today dig it. Yeah, it's. Uh, it was a classic period in that sense that it was, you know, a lot of a lot of things that all came together to make some pretty special music, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, people, you know, uh, the cycles go on, and there's always a period where people want to go back to just, you know, hearing really well-performed things, you know. Yeah, um, and then people get sick of all that and want something more light-hearted and <laughs> goofy, and you know, it's it's all good. I guess yeah, it's 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 cyclical. Um, I, before I wasn't working uh, with you last time. I remember walking to your office probably two months or so before I um, moved on, and you had different harmonicas in there. You were like buying harmonicas, trying to get the right one for the. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't... And you often don't hear people that actually play the damn things. Yeah, it was kind of a new skill I developed over this last couple years. Uh, I just kind of goofed around a couple times over the years with harmonica, never seriously. and A couple of the songs really uh, called for it, so I started to do a little research, and next thing I know, I was really into it, and it was actually... uh, Got a lot of positive responses. I actually had a, a session the other day playing harmonica for someone else. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, there there was some harmonica on this old life on the last one, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That's what kind of originally there was like one song, maybe two songs that I had an idea that harmonica would work, and then we ended up using it for more than that on that album. And then on this one, I really took it even further uh-huh. and got a little more uh, developed in my skill of doing it. Wrote around it a little more. Yeah, because the harmonica on this one is just it, to me is incredible. I you know I don't know anybody that can play that well, and I'm sure they're you know I'm sure you have a different opinion of what your <laughs> level of playing is, but it works really well with that music. Like you said, you wrote around it, and you can tell. Yeah, and it, it helps it. you know in the studio because I probably couldn't get up and uh, jam with good harmonica players on stage, uh, but with a little effort, you know, with, when you're playing bar- parts and pieces and you listen back and you go, oh, that's really good. And then you can string phrases together when you don't have a lot of experience. Yeah. You know, it, it helps when you're in a studio doing that. But then, then I literally have to go back and, like, learn the part after I've sat there and worked out some of it, you know. Right. And then play or it all the way to, through. You have to attend the harmonica virgins. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Forgot all about that. <laughs> the harmonica virgins. <laughs> I may still have that little sheet that you made up with the Photoshop. I might have to name my next band that. (laughs) (laughs) In the late 80s, there was, was it the Harmonic Convergence? Yeah. Which we, uh, I don't know how Darren thought, but I thought it was some stupid hippie thing. And he um, he (laughs) uh, really contrived. So he, he... (laughs) He got to get. He got well, somebody had, was having a big party, and they made these flyers. Oh, that's right. And it was an actual flyer, and it said, "You know, come to the Harmonic Convergence." And um, it was a bu- picture of, of a bunch of hippies like holding a hand, their hands up or something yeah, and like I that. I edited the word so it said "Harmonica Virgins," 
and uh, you know did a little drawing on the on the poster and made my own version of it. They're it all holding humorous. up harmonicas and <laughs> an unprecedented gathering for people unfamiliar with harmonicas. <laughs> uh, it is fun to mock. Mock you, mock me. I'm a mocker. Are you a mod or a rocker? Yeah. My favorite line from uh, Hard Day's Night was George Harrison. Where they, they remember he goes in that office and they suddenly think he's supposed to be a model or something like that. And they tell me yeah, and, and yeah, they're telling him he has to be real concerned and you know this is really important yeah. shit. And the only thing he says, and it's totally punk. He says, "I don't care." <laughs> <laughs> And you can tell he means it. <laughs> yeah, they were so radical, the long-haired Beatles. Well, actually, when you hear about what they were doing, they basically were just what we called punk later, but they were just a new generation saying, fuck you to the last one. It's funny, too, when you hear more about what went on at that period. They were way wilder than we even imagined. Yeah. You know, they, before they even came to America, they were taking speed and getting drunk and hanging out in whorehouses and stuff. Yeah. They were like oh, you mean 17, in Germany? 19, yeah. 21 years old. Yeah. So they'd, they'd seen quite a bit before they uh, appeared on the scene for us. Yeah, I, I read that, um, I think it's Barry Miles' biography of him that was written like right when Sgt. Pepper came out. And it describes that whole It's very detailed about that whole And then he went and talked to, you know, every one of theirs. Every one of the Beatles' parents and their mm. brothers and sisters, and you know, it's really detailed. But yeah, the whole Hamburg period is is very detailed, and it's it's like you can see how you could take these people and stick them in this like high pressure crucible mm. of activity and you know shit they'd never seen before, and just that life experience and how that like shot them out the cannon to the next level. And then Epstein and Martin. Yeah, put it all together really for him. I I did not know. I've been not been keeping up with the Paul McCartney uh, stuff. He just released an album of standards. Like I didn't Ameri know that either. Yeah, it's, I heard I the Chaos and Creation album was pretty good. I listened to that quite a bit. Okay, yeah, because I listened I didn't to get his next album. I think I heard Run Devil Run, and I was like, eh, it's okay, I guess. But I want to hear him singing like you know, Stormy Weather or what is he? I can't remember. It's just like a bunch of like standard it was inevitable. tunes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully, it'd be better than the Rod Stewart uh, album. Why he did, did he do that? He did standard. Yeah, about three years ago. It just doesn't seem like it. I mean, it just sounds wrong, you know. Yeah. Well, McCartney could probably pull it off, though. Well, that's what he's been. It, the, huh, even when, well, I mean, early yeah. Beatles, he was doing some pretty. Odd things like that. Uh, yeah, heavily influenced by British uh, music. Taste of honey. You know, yeah. He was doing some pretty cool, wacky stuff. Yeah, that. Um, who was the big, um, in the Beatles, who was the big uh, Motown guy? Was that Lennon or all of them were into it? I don't know. Because they did like two or three or four Motown songs that were done by oh, girl like groups. Like Kansas City and things like that. Yeah, and um god what is it? I don't it? know if they didn't eat Mr. Postman and Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. There were a couple others too, and I've got I've actually got uh online I found some had, yeah, those... somebody had put together a collection of all the songs by the original artists that the Beatles covered. 
Those I don't even really think of as Motown too much, but quasi-Motown, I guess. Well, I, uh, who did mis- please Mr. Postman? Is that the Shirelles or something? You can't get much more Motown than that. Uh, I think Carol King wrote it. Oh, maybe. Something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, it is Barry Gordy produced stuff. Yeah, that, that zone. It's weird. You, it, I go and meet people my age and younger, and the guy at work comes up and talks to me about the comedy store and all the people that were there in the 1980s. I'm thinking, holy shit, I went to the comedy store in the 80s and I saw some of these people. And then you talk about music and then some guy that's like 22 or something at work, I walk by and he's listening to 10CC. Mm-hmm. I was like, shit, that's 10CC. And he said, yeah, you know about them? It's like, yeah, I got a bunch of their albums. I don't really listen to them anymore, but I, there was a period at which I really enjoyed their music. It's called getting old, Greg. Yeah, I know. It's 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 frightening. The other thing I realized the other day is I'm probably over halfway to death. <laughs> My it's daughter's going to be out of death. college next year, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. Are you are you making music because you're afraid of death? And am I am I going to take flying lessons? Are you denying it? De- uh, denying death. Yeah. <laughs> or just no. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a little of both. But that's why um, I think I enjoy music a lot more now because I approach it more like I I'm doing it because I enjoy it. You know, I don't have a big goal in mind. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to achieve something or make a mark that lasts forever. I just kind of. I yeah. write what I write when I'm at home by myself and record it, and it's a icing on the cake if people like it, you know. Yeah, that's the same reason people. What do you do your radio shows like? Because I like it, yeah. and if people other people like it, that's great. And then for a long time I was saying, oh, I just do the show for me, and then I realized people are writing saying this is a great show and I really like it. It's like, I guess I am kind of doing it for other people too. Well, that's what happens. I mean, even if you do get into it. For those reasons, you later start to get sucked in, you know, because you start, you're making a lot of decisions and you're working on it and you become attached and then you start to have visions of what, you know, what might come of it. You know, it's it's hard to break that cycle because you just get sucked in. How, uh, how do you mean? Well, you know, like, uh, like I was saying, when I f- did that more recent f- first album, um, I kind of think of these two albums as like a first in a way. It's very different than stuff I did in the past. But, yeah. But the first one, I was just really excited to be able to put the money together, find the right people and do it. And I had no ambition whatsoever other than to hear it sound like really professional to for sound, the first yeah. time, you know. And uh, so I was, and then the second time I got a little more sucked into, you know, because a lot of it you, you get on the internet and you're like, oh, you could open a MySpace page and you, you start doing all these things oh, to try to get it mean, out yeah. there. Next thing you know, it's like you find yourself caring about it in a way you didn't start off caring about <laughs> it, you know, and hoping that something's going to happen and you're going to get this and that and the other. And um, it's just a hard thing to not get drawn in. Well, yeah. To caring about it in that way. You know, even when you start off, not really. Yeah, well, nobody's put my stuff on on TV shows or movies or anything like that, <laughs> and I have no illusions that it's going to be. Or, I I think at some point I got to the point where it's like, you know what, this is never going to go anywhere. If I'm going to keep doing it, I better just keep doing it because I want to. And if something comes of it, then that that like you said, yeah, that's just icing on the cake. I don't think anything ever will. 
Well, I don't know about the, this show specific, but I'm, I'm surprised at this point someone hasn't tapped you for uh, some kind of consulting for some films and stuff with your well, they did batch of knowledge you have. They did a while back, but there's so many. They, they have actually, you know, people mm-hmm. call, and maybe you get this with the music too. But people call and they say, "Would you like to, you know, we need to know about this thing, or can you mm-hmm. help us with this thing?" Basically, what they want to do is pick your brain and then leave. They uh. don't want to. They don't want to <laughs> hire you on. They just want to pick your brain for free. Sure. So after a while, I've just started saying, "Look, here's this and this and this and this. If you want more, come, you know, bring me down and 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 talk about paying me. Otherwise." Yeah. I don't see why I should be giving this for free. They, okay, thanks. Hang up. Yeah. And well, you know, again, though, it's gonna somebody's gonna get maybe get in a situation where they're gonna realize that they need a little more in depth than that. Well, the other thing is that I've been called last time. It was for that Jesse Ventura show, mm-hmm. and they said if we came down and you know if we had you on camera, what what would you be willing to say? And they like. They spelled out for me what they wanted me to say, and I said, well, all I'd want to know, and I know you can't guarantee this, is that I don't, what I said, what I say isn't turned into something I didn't say through your editing. And they said, okay, well, that sounds fine. That, that'd be great. And then I never hear from them again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I equivocate too much. That's the other thing. Well, they, hard- they want somebody who's like, you, this is it's like well I don't yeah. believe that it's I like believe, they've already written you know, the part they just yeah. want you to play it they, they yeah they want they want an actor to play the part that's been or, written or it could very well be something else came up it's hard to tell in those scenarios yeah you, you never a lot know. of times they're just you know making it up as they go along yeah but you have you, you but if they to, want your try music to read it's into not, it. you can't do they can't do anything with it it's your music well they can have a guy taking a piss during it yeah yeah exactly <laughs> It was a rather barroom song, though, so I didn't mind. It was oh, appropriate. okay. It reminded me of the little bars and taverns where I grew up. When I first saw it, I was, like, laughing. It's pretty hard. <laughs> Did you get any, like, a bump in sales or anything from having it on the... Uh, a little they bit. They gave you a credit, I right? I mean, that, that specific song actually, you know, has it sounds pretty like, much... There we go. I mean, you know, it's... It depends on is it a chicken and egg thing, you know, but that specific song has got the most play of anything I've done in terms of attention and sales and, you know, like iTunes stuff. And um, it's really hard to trace how much, you know, comes from where at what time. Because yeah. really the album had been out almost a year before the right. show came out. But it became at least an item I could mention, you know, kind right. of would draw people's attention a little more. So it's like, sure, whatever. Yeah, I got an ambivalent uh, uh, attitude towards TV and movies or whatever. I, every time I get near it, I realize how ridiculous it is. Yeah. And how and how I don't really care. Well, I, did. I, I used to care, mm-hmm. but I don't care anymore. And probably now I've got the best chance of all because I just don't care. Well, I never really thought about it much. And then when it was offered, you know, I was like, sure, what the heck? Help pay for the recording. You know, that's yeah. all I really cared about. And I'm not really concerned it's going to be used in some bastardized way or something. It's like, whatever. It's just, you know, a song. Um, I suppose if I had the uh, clout to give a shit, I, I might. <laughs> like, you can't use it for that. I'm too cool. Yeah. You know, or I don't need the money or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, I'm open to whatever at this point. Yeah. Don't cross the bear. What? 
I have no cross to bear oh, in I that regard. You. Oh, okay. Remember how upset we'd get when we saw the Beatles song on a tennis shoe commercial or something? <laughs> how dare they? Yeah, how dare you've cheapened the music. Well, yeah. The music sucks now because they use it in the commercial, right? Yeah. I still don't like it, but whatever, I don't care. He's using it to sell something. I, I shut off comments on my Facebook page because people kept posting stuff. Watch my new, th- you know, see my new uh, uh, video. See my new, bo- read my new book. Like, what are you doing? Everyone is networking each other to death. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, my, my, my late poor dead friend, Mac Tonys, went off of Facebook a year before he died almost three years ago. Yeah. He said, this is ridiculous. I'm, I'm sick of this. Really? Already? And it, it, maybe he, I think he knew things that we don't, or I don't. And was that, had anything to do with his death? I could have. <laughs> Facebook went after him. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you shut off your account? <laughs> <laughs> you can check out any time you like. But you can never f- leave. <laughs> the first thing I thought of when, I, when, when you said that was um, uh, Brazil. <laughs> ah yes. Don't shut off your Facebook account. It'll 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 ruin your credit rating. Yes. <laughs> and now Terry Gilliam Terry Gilliam is doing long form commercials for a spaghetti company or something. I think that's the last thing he did. Wow. And he I think they let no, well, you know what? They let him do whatever he wanted on the film. But it had to have the spaghetti thing in there somewhere or have the name splattered on it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you should do it for a bean company. Somehow I think it's going to be like a magical mystery tour when (laughs) the doodog Bonzo band or whatever is playing. Bonzo dog doodog band. (laughs) Somebody like And they're shoveling spaghetti. Yes, that's right. He'd use that probably. Yeah, some some geek corrected me on my music site. I just noticed the other day because I said that the spaghetti scene was in Magical Mystery Tour. It, I mean, in Yellow Submarine. It oh. couldn't have been because that was a cartoon. <laughs> I wasn't thinking when I. No, it was in it was in Magical Mystery Tour. What's wrong with you? Okay, okay, I'll change it. Music's the worst on the internet. If you go look at any video or anything, there's just like everybody yelling at each other. What are you talking about? How dare you put them down? Oh, they suck. You know, it's just, yeah, that's a, that, it's just a bitch Stang fest. said that. It's he just said, a bitch fest, yeah, He man. said, you know what I like to look at is all the comments on Yahoo about, <laughs> from all the Yahoos about whatever news story or whatever it is. He, he said it, that's the most entertaining thing. Like George Carlin's thing about, you know, that my entertainment was all the disasters. Stang's is going on <laughs> websites and looking at all the people yelling at each other. I did that. <laughs> I did that for a while. And then after a while, I'm like, wow. This is really repetitious. <laughs> Very quick. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, the, the first couple of reactions. Oh, this is cool. Oh, this is stupid. You're yeah. an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep, it has nothing to do with whatever. Within well, three comments, that has nothing to do with what, whatever was the video or whatever it yeah. was. <laughs> Must be a king. How do you know? He hasn't got shit all over him. Every time I see that kind of stuff, I think of that scene in Monty Python where they're just walking by and all the people are just fighting with each other in piles, in, just in filth. Yeah. That's basically Ooh, all they do. There's some lovely filth over here. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, peasants 
fighting with each other in shit. That's that's what I think a lot of life is. Is just a bunch of people who just wallowing, wallowing in crap until they die, which is horrible. And then I'm having fun wallowing in the crap. When really we're just the rarest jewel in the universe, <laughs> floating on the top of riding the biggest crest of a wave of evolution that's ever been traced in billions of years. Well, yes, of course. The luckiest, most magically divine beings ever created. Well, I don't know. What do you think? It's closer to the wallowing and shit? I think it's closer to famous potatoes. Potatoes, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking of, yeah. We have too many similar frame of references. <laughs> we could talk for like an hour and no one would understand one yeah. of the segues we've ever said. Yeah. What was it? Oh, it was Carlin talking about the um, God, license plate. The license plate frames. Yeah. The, Live free or, or die. die. Idaho is famous potatoes. <laughs> right. Somewhere in the middle, truth lies. I think it's closer to famous potatoes. <laughs> Ready, Mysterioso and stuff. Hello. Hey, we have our first caller. Huh? No, he he's not here right now. He he may be at the Kill Radio meeting. <laughs> it's for another show. Oh wait, nobody showed up at that meeting. No, he's not here right now. Sorry. Uh, like. Meanwhile. Uh, not too shy, John, and one other person, I think, maybe. Meanwhile. Yeah, everybody's boycotting or lazy or something. One, I, I'm doing my show, so I couldn't go. I'll start reading from the New Inquisition while you're right. on the phone. Thanks. This infuriating track, the author, by training a biochemist and by demonstrating a knowledgeable man, is however misguided. Oh, you're back. Yeah, sorry. I was uh, talking to somebody who was asking for another one of the DJs here. Um, Darren is taking a look at a copy of The New Inquisition, which is the first book I read by Robert Anton Wilson, which uh, probably sent me on this trajectory, um, sitting here with Darren right now, doing the magazine, and doing the show, for that matter. It hit me at a point of imprint vulnerability. He's the best collector of quotes. Oh, you, uh, Wilson's, uh, you mean his, uh, his occasional quotes to live by he finds from different, well, he, he's the best maker of quotes, too, or one of them. You know, I always felt like uh, if, if he wanted to get the most information and read the least, <laughs> just read some of his books. Yeah. Wow, this thing is either all the way on and terrible sounding or off. God, this piece of crap. Here's a quote he's got from Nietzsche. Nietzsche? With the unknown, one is confronted with danger, discomfort, and worry. The first instinct is to abolish these painful sensations. First principle, any explanation is better than none. <laughs> the search for causes is thus conditioned by and excited by the feeling of fear. The question why is not pursued for its own sake, but to find a certain kind of answer. An answer that is pacifying, tranquilizing, and soothing. Roderick Nietzsche. He's the one with an S in his name. <laughs> like Schopenhauer. <laughs> or Carol Beasege. Yeah. She's a philosopher. Was. Nietzsche's the man, though. He sounds closest to the um, uh, avoidance fear of death. Yeah, that was kind of leaning in that direction, wasn't it? Yeah, he is... Uh, Cut, he was really a cut out all the bullshit kind of guy. 
And then we have an Irish proverb here that says... The uncomfortable truth of Germans. This is more appropriate to Greg's uh, inquiries into Bigfoot. Uh-oh. It says, if you see a two-headed pig, keep your mouth shut. Irish proverb. That's right. (laughs) That's wisdom for you right there. Alan Watts uh, told the story of some Irish farmer, I think, and then somebody was asking how you get to some village, and he's, he's, uh, what did he say? I do know the way, but I don't think, I don't think I'd, I do know the way, but I don't think I'd go that way if I were you, and that's how he left it. Which sounds like kind of a chapel perilous thing. Um, which is another Wilson. Uh, one, one of the listeners actually suggested, and I still want to do this, and Darren might want to be included, um, having a show just talking about Robert Anton Wilson and his, his influence on us and influences on Wilson and how all that came to be. Um, I had a horrible time in my life and um, one of those like suicidal moments. And for some reason, Wilson's writing like popped out into my, into my awareness at that point. It was when remember when she, remember my girlfriend Sherry, of course yeah, she um I she came home at, and told me she'd slept with another guy, and then uh, yeah, and I knew it before she said it. And the other and and then a guy I'd been working with for a while, Mark Punswick. Do you even remember him? Yes. Yeah, he had a um, business and he basically locked me out of the 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 uh, building. For some, I can't even remember what reason, but I lost my girlfriend and a job in, I think, yeah, my girlfriend and a and a friend and a job in one week, like within two days of each other. Um, and at that point, I read a Wilson article about Wilhelm Reich of all things, and the book listed that he had written for some reason was that one, was the New Inquisition. So I ran out and got that, started reading it, and at the point where I thought I had nothing left going on in my life and I wanted to kill myself. I read the New Inquisition, huh? Remember back when computers were new, and I made that animation of this. And yes, you, and you played it at a party. It was at the Space Club party. Space Club party, yeah, with Stan. Yeah, yeah. This was, was a, a party. There was a group called the Space Club, and uh, it was around LA for a while. Basically, I think it was a collection of artists and creative people and hipsters and stuff that were into ufos for a while um one of the people and this was stan ridgeway from from wall of voodoo um and i had one of these parties at my house i still have one of the invitations i made up for it on the color systems technology xerox machine (laughs) um and uh, probably have a picture of your ass too yeah yeah big picture of my my uh my hairy ass uh and uh, for some reason, uh, at that uh, at that time, I asked Bill Moore, the UFO researcher, to come and re- uh, do a lecture there, and nobody recorded it. I don't think, uh. which was really stupid. He gave. I said, I said, Bill, will you come and talk at my party? He said, Yeah, sure. What are you going to talk about? He said, I don't know something. So on the interv- on the invitation, I wrote, Bill Moore will talk about something in quotes, and he talked for like two hours. Yeah, it was it was pretty interesting. And at the uh, during the uh, and during his talk, um, apparently sometime before it, Stan Ridgway had dropped acid, so he stood in the back of the room in my living room, yelling, yelling at Bill Moore while he was tripping on acid. <laughs> I have a feeling he wasn't the only one. No, he was. And then later, it's funny. He came up to me after he stopped tripping on acid and said, 
Oh, sorry, man. I, got, I was I was high on acid. That's why I was yelling at Bill. I said he didn't care. Nobody cared. It's okay. <laughs> and he said, "All right." And then he gave me the acid that he was on. He gave me <laughs> he gave me some of the hits of acid that he was on while he was yelling at Bill. It was good stuff. After everybody left, Jeremy and I took some, and I think I saw UFOs flying over Topanga Canyon on that acid. It was great. It was a good party. Yeah, I remember. Uh quite a few things really what else happened during that party um well nothing that's too humorous to recreate at this moment (laughs) yeah i I was just happy because i did that i I had an amiga computer and it was like i had it for like a year yeah and i had in order to scan graphics at the time you had to have a surveillance camera black and white with a little color wheel Oh, wow. You had to scan each pass of each color. Right, right. And then, you know, you could go in and you you could, you know, the paint program had like 32 colors. Wow. But I made little animations and little slideshows with things flickering. And it was full of images like this uh, hooded figure on the cover of the Inquisition. Only it had a UFO flying around the back, remember? Yeah, I remember. He brought me, I think it was a videotape or something uh, that he just recorded like, you know a two-hour loop or yeah. sequence of all these animations he'd done. And we had that playing in the background during the, on my on my my giant 27-inch CRT 300-pound screen in the, in, the, in the back of the uh, living room. This is, I lived in Topanga at the time, and it was just this giant, like, what, 20-by-30-foot living room I had. And so it was, we had chairs set up and Bill yeah, spoke. All I can remember is you complaining all the time about all the beach traffic. <laughs> yeah, on the on the weekends, the You're beach like, traffic. God damn it, these idiots are going to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get in and out of my house. I couldn't. There was it was a, it was a traffic. It was like full stop traffic jam every weekend during the summer of dipshits from the valley going to the beach <laughs> and then back again in the evening. Oh well, yeah. get off my beach, dude. Yeah. <laughs> that's all you remember about me living there. Huh? Oh well, I wouldn't say that's all, but. I forgot that I never went trick-or-treating because I was too old. Apparently, Danny Elfman would, like, do up his house real big for Halloween, but I never went up to actually check it out, which was, like, basically, like, a mile from where I lived. Was uh, And I didn't find this out until I was almost about to move out. Maybe that's why. But he has a house up there. Maybe he did at the time. And then right after I moved out, there was a big UFO, like huge like flap sequence of sightings there like the month after i moved out they, they were waiting till i left well, maybe that acid spread around the whole <laughs> canyon now there's a guy that grew up there or his family was there and he grew up there and he wrote a whole book about it at ufos over topanga canyon i think by preston dennett maybe i should have him on the show he's kind of a book factory uh basically concentrating on california weirdness um, hey, we have four minutes, unless you want to run overtime. Oh, yeah. you've got to go to work in the morning. Yeah. Got to go to my day job. <laughs> we all, be, all, all have these stupid day jobs. Um, uh, I was thinking, did I tell you this? I was thinking after uh, after I hadn't worked for like 11 months. Well, during that 11 months, I was like, I'm not going to go in the entertainment industry anymore. I'm going to go out and do this stuff and be my own person and write books and anything. And after when the unemployment was about to run up, and I got I got this job offer out of the blue, 
took the job. I was kind of like, oh, well, yeah, I guess so. I'll take the job. Um, but I had this kind of small revelation. Maybe I'm not that guy. Maybe I need that job. Maybe I need a job to, like, pay the bills while I go do all this other shit. All the books were written and the radio show was started and I learned to paraglide and all that. When I had that, like, three, four-day-a-week job. I guess I need... I'm not disciplined enough to be independent like a lot of people I know. Yeah. Well... I don't think... Maybe I'm not... Sometimes it's just timing. You know, sometimes things just come up. You're ready. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of artists run into that, you know. It's when I was in uh, school, that was a common theme of discussion was the uh, imposition of uh, limitations and uh, the effect it had on people. And Generally speaking, it was a good effect, you know. You know, if, if it wasn't due tomorrow, you wouldn't work on it, you know. Right. I mean, that's exactly how I am. And um, so, But that's what's hard, really, about being an artist is uh, self-motivation. You know, I mean, people in general. Well, yeah, for anything. Yeah, that's the thing, you know. So I work with a lot of different musicians, and uh, it's one thing to hang out and jam and talk about instruments and criticize other artists, and it's another thing to actually finish a product and put it out and say, I'm done, this is it, check it out. Yeah. That's actually a pretty monumental task, apparently. Because <laughs> yeah, a well, lot of apparently. people don't do it that are uh, capable but they don't because it's a, uh, you know, it's 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 damned hard to produce anything. Yeah. Plus, I think a lot of people invest a lot in um, criticizing others, and so then when it comes down to putting your own thing out there, it's kind of like, you know, uh oh, here comes everybody with an opinion about me now. Yeah, it's a scary thing to some people. So, well, it is a scary thing, and for if you. you that's there's a question. Have you had people like come up to you and say, oh, "This is shit," or you know, "This is terrible," or "I don't like it," or whatever? Criti- I mean, negative criticism. Not really. Mm-hmm. I mean, generally speaking, you know, because it's not that it's not popular. It's not like a known item out there. Uh, you know, people either like it or avoid it. You know, <laughs> they don't. You know, if if it was if I was famous in some fashion, I'm sure there'd be people on there voicing their opinion because it, it kind of fuel with other people like you it fuels other people to say something negative yeah, you know, yeah. it's like it pisses me off those people are out there thinking this is good i have to say something <laughs> <laughs> so i've avoided most of that and generally speaking you know people don't say much if they don't have anything good to say oh that's true yeah uh, well, yeah, for for I I have gotten yeah. thing I have gotten negative stuff. I got a lot of it what, at a certain point. Not about the show, the really, on the books and yeah. sometimes on the show. Well, people see, are like, books, well, I don't agree with that. <laughs> well, your like, books got out there, though. I mean, they actually had a, quite a, you know, there's a lot of people seeing that book, so and well, may a, a few, yeah, you know, enough to make it and draw people in with opinions. Plus, I think books are probably a little more prone to that. Yeah, didn't you say you were... Th- was this when we were driving over here? You're thinking about doing a book? Yeah. Do you yeah. want to Do you want to just drop it right now so that you actually continue? <laughs> no, I'm on record. <laughs> so if I don't do it, it'll be... Well, I can edit it out. It's all right. <laughs> no, it's kind of based on what we've been talking about already, you know, and uh, the uh, idea of 
believing and how that fits in with the new paradigm that we're in and um, re reevaluating the language a lot uh, that we use for these things and trying to um, uh, you know clarify hopefully and uh, if I could at least do that much that would be great and if it would uh, make a, b a broader point about you know uh, I mean, it's it's ridiculous to think you're going to write a book and it's going to change people's lives. But you know, uh, if if it can make the no, point that I want to you're make, you're writing it for yourself. Yeah, yeah. So um, as a learning experience. Yeah, I mean, it's a culmination of the. I feel like I've kind of gotten to the end of a long cycle. I mean, since I was twenty, went through the full circle of various paths of interest from, you know. Um, people that I met and different gurus, cults, uh, just like a lot of people older than us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, none of them did I ever, yeah, the same age, you know, dr drowned myself in. I was always sort of a reporter in a way with every path I went down, um, and, uh, studied, but, uh, you know, it's kind of just a summary of where I've gotten at this later stage in life with all of it, and what it means to me. Yeah. It's kind of the idea. Well, when it's it's finished, um, give yourself a due date or I don't know what it is. I, I don't know what your motivating factor is. Mine is always a de deadline. Yeah. If I have a deadline, I'll finish it. Yeah. And well, it has it to be an helps. externally opposed deadline because I can't make my own. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm one of those people that's very cautious about making a commitment that I, I'm not pretty sure I will do it. Yeah. Because once I do, I pretty much will. Yeah. But I, it takes me a while, a lead-up period, before I'll say yeah. that. It takes me years. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I'm involved in a few other things that, you know, might eat up my time if something comes along. So I don't want to, you know, go through that. But it's it's one of those things where I'm uh, taking notes as I go. And, you know, I'll get to a certain point where it'll hopefully be an avalanche of material that I have to then just basically edit. Yeah. Well, that's what happens. I mean, yeah. you just have to eat. A friend of mine, um, uh, Adam Go Rightly, actually, he, he said, you having problems writing? I said, yeah. And he goes, write something every day, which I don't do. He goes, yeah. if you do, it'll be done at a certain point. Yeah, no matter how little, really. Yeah, he said, write a sentence if you have to. But. Or the other thing will happen is you'll look at it and go, I shouldn't write this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, somebody's already said it, or I'm not going to be able to do enough research to make it, you know, yeah. Uh, significant enough enough statement. Yeah. Other than just a bunch of opinions and you know. You yeah. Know, you have I to do, if you want to tweak around in that realm, you have to substantiate it somewhat with some backing. Yeah. Um, or I could just go straight new age and just say this is what I think and you know, <laughs> and uh, quote a few things to support it, and not really get too deep into. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know how deep I want to go into. Uh, substantiating my yeah the thing I'm working on I realize I'm going to have to like actually get some quotes and interview people and do things like that so yeah. and that kind of gives you a little block. perspective <laughs> <laughs> a little block in your yeah. process well I'm, I think I'm going to go out do you know that there's a annular eclipse next month it's going to go across the Pacific and, and into the United States and actually it, it ends up in Albuquerque 
or somewhere in Texas. I think I've uh, been seeing some stuff. Yeah. An annular eclipse is when the the moon doesn't cover the entire. You probably know this, but it doesn't cover the entire sun. It's like this very thin corona around it. Not the corona, but actually, you can still see the sun. Mm-hmm. Just looks like a big a ring of fire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, which right. is a burns, old, uh, burns, one of burns. one of Darren's old bands. Um, uh, that happens next month, and I was going to use it as an excuse to go out to Albuquerque again, which I have, I'm out there every year for some reason. I haven't gone this year yet, so that'll be my first trip. But I'm going to go out and see that annular eclipse, I believe. It's, on, it's uh, May 20th on a Sunday evening, right in the evening. Mm-hmm. But there's two or three people I need to talk to in Albuquerque in furtherance of doing this book, so maybe the eclipse is pulling me into the doing the next... Uh, next uh, part of this book so we'll see what birds with one eclipse exactly that's exactly right is do you want to play another song to lead out oh i don't know (laughs) i guess we could fade out with something um let's see what do we got here how about a mellow one uh track number eight okay and uh once again it's my friend darren mcgovern i've known forever and ever um and the only the only decent musician I know that I can think of that actually knows what he's doing and makes good music. I mean, this this the it's it's finely crafted stuff with some thought behind it, which is I think rare. Um, what's the website again? DarrenMcGovern.com. M C G O V E R N. Darren spelled as in uh, how you think would yeah, Darren would be spelled. There was a guy who ran for president once with that name, so oh, it, yeah, it's always so shocking to me how many people have never heard it. They're like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, well, as I told I told Darren when we were coming here, I saw that school project somebody taking picture for the fail blog, but there's a little diorama this kid had put together. The it said American Civil War and this little army men on it and the American flag and the and the uh, Confederate flag and then above the entire thing a helicopter <laughs> swooping in to strafe the uh, evil uh, uh, Confederate soldiers. Another story funny because we're older. <laughs> <laughs> so this one is. This is called River Carry Me. All right, and uh, it's from the uh, new record. Uh, Record, album, CD. It's an album. Album, Celebrate the Light from Darren McGovern. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, man, for having me. Good to see you. All right. In the ripples of time Projecting the ocean of tears through the valleys of fear because we long to be free river carry me Let the ache in your heart Help you make a new start 
River carry me. 